Hello and welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast, the podcast kicking holes in the advertising hoarding of life. I am Cammy Black and this week I'm joined by Ian Hay. Howdy. And Rory Baldwin. Hello. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how to get in contact with us. I'm going to save that till the end uh, as we treat because uh, I subjected you all to jazz bab- bagpipes last week, uh, which I'll be, be honest, that had um, mixed to um, absolute negative uh, reviews in on Twitter. Um, if people want the return of jag- jazz bagpipes, let, let me know. I w- I'm happy to bring them back. Um, we'll start, though. We're going to have a crap call-off. We've had one in from... Um, Cameron Dunn on Twitter. This is where we ask you to, to shame your teammates past and present with their awful excuses for not making a game or training. Uh, Cameron, who I think uh, from my, um, my my deductions based on his Twitter account plays for Dunfermline RFC, said they had a Friday night fixture the other week because of the Six Nations games and one player was going to call off because he'd organised the FIFA tournament. Um, Cameron did say, though, that the player came off the bench and scored a brace, so fair play to him. Um, and he said he didn't want to name him, but I'm guessing that if you play for Dunfermline RFC or know of them and work out who came off the bench and scored a brace, uh, he's going to be the one that was uh, planning a FIFA tournament. Um, See, I just think I think left him because he wasn't playing pro evil. Um, that was my, you know, that was my first reaction. Yeah, well, it's a far superior game, as we all know. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I actually I don't know, I don't know a clue. I haven't played. To be fair, I haven't played a. a computer football game for a good 10 years sensible soccer yeah oh, good old days. i think that my favorite ever one was on the nintendo was um called it was super soccer the super soccer wasn't there striker that was the best one striker was amazing that was on the nintendo you could score from the halfway line if you, if you hit it right um Anyway, get in touch. Tell us what, what's your favourite football uh, <laughs> from the past. Um, the big news, though, this uh, there's some news this week. Uh, Stuart Hogg and Hugh Jones are still in the Scotland squad, but they are seeing specialists. Um, so we don't know whether that's good or bad at the minute. Uh, Magnus Bradbury is back for Edinburgh this weekend, so Richard Cockrell says, and he's also suggested that Hamish Watson may be available earlier than expected for the games against Wales and England if he's fit enough, uh, which is some heartening news because the big news is that Ryan Wilson's out for the rest of the tournament, which is a big loss, Ian. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've um, been a bit worried about his inconsistency, but he does seem to, you know, get that extra bit of dog in him with these big games. Uh, I thought in the first 40 against Ireland he was excellent. Mm. You know, he was he was clattering sexton. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, he was he was hitting breakdowns with force. You know, he was he was looking like he was you know he's really up for that one, uh, and then you know didn't come back out for the second half, and then you know just mistakes seem to creep in. Um, yeah, so it's a real shame to lose him, especially since we've got basically nobody else playing in the back row at the moment. No, um, Rory, I mean Rory, but it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because we've been a bit down on Ryan Wilson in the past and his contributions, but the last the last two games he really seemed to up, and he's not had a great season for Glasgow either. But the last two games he really seemed to sort of find a bit of consistency. Yeah, I mean he'd, he'd been sort of um, he's kind of fulfilling that John Barkley role of just kind of tackling everything that he can, maybe not carrying very much, but. Um, doing a bit of link play here and there, but unlike unlike Barkley, he's got that extra little bit of aggro to him, to his game. And yeah, I mean he was he was doing really well, and he is also a senior figure in the squad. Um, it, I thought it was pretty noticeable the the kind of 
the Scotland team again kind of lacked direction in the later stages and I think they, they badly missed that I mean obviously Rob Harley is a hugely experienced guy but he's been out of the setup for a while and uh, yeah I think uh, I think they, they kind of missed him on the missed him pretty badly in the second half yeah I don't think I don't think Rob I've read things before I don't think Rob Harley's much of a talker on the pitch either I think uh, from what I've read it's a bit of a the red mist descends and he's just in a bit of a beast mode for the entire time that he's on the pitch it's hard to get through to him so yeah you wonder who I mean you've got Stuart McAnally but you sort of maybe need a bit more leadership in the forward pack um in terms of the game then there's quite a lot to get through so rather than going through we could spend probably twice as long as the game actually took to talk about everything that happened and all the main main talking points shall we get the main one out of the way which is probably the most controversial one and the one that sort of came up at the end of the game with Grieg's little um, dig at Roman Poit. Um, first of all, I think it's okay to criticise a referee so long as you can justify the criticism. It's obviously not okay to abuse them or criticise them with no basis like Nick Knowles did um, <laughs> last year. Um, You're dead to me, Knowles. But, but I mean, do you, I mean, in terms of Poit, did he, did he have a, a, a bad game, Ian? Are we just, is, are we wearing our Scotland our thistle-covered glasses? See, I don't know because I've just seen a video uh, on Facebook the other day um, from Lane Out Coach, which is um, produced by Gavin Hickey. Um, so you can tell where his allegiances lie. Um, he did also say he used to play for Leinster. Um, and Scotland were going in at the rocks at the side quite frequently. Um, yeah. However, the Stuart Hogg O'Mahony incident, for me, that's a definite penalty, possibly a yellow card. Um, there's. I mean, there's no attempt to wrap it in a tackle. It's just an elbow drop to the hip. Um, you know, the the Carney incident on Seymour, that's, you know, I've only just sort of seen that recently because obviously at the game, you know, I didn't hang about at halftime to watch replays. There was no replay shown at the time. Um, I mean, that's just an elbow charge to the face. That's mm. uh, it's a definite penalty, possibly a yellow. Um was it? Yeah, was, I, I, can't, I, I I watched the game back this morning, but um, and I and, and I caught that. Was but remind me, was 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 someone through for a try then when Carney charged him, or was it? Did he take Seymour C- off the ball? Seymour was on the touchline. He had possession of the ball. Um, he was, you know, he's too tight to the touchline to get in for to to score. Uh, but Carney has just come in and basically elbowed him right in the face. There's not even an attempt to wrap an arm. You know, it's it's, yeah, it's a shoulder barge. It's yeah. a Owen Farrell Maximus, basically, is uh, <laughs> what it is. Um, so, and the fact that the touch judge hasn't flagged anything, I mean, the TMO must have been away at the burger van or something for him not to get involved in that, because it's, you know, it's such. Considering all this talk about contact with the head, um, it's, it's a really bad one to get missed. Yeah, I mean, Greg Laidlaw was asked about his frustration with the referee in the press conference after the game, and this is what he had to say. Yeah, there's one in particular, I think, you know, we launched off a line-out in the second half and, and Sean O'Brien kind of reached the ball and I just felt Roman was right there and he, he gave a knock-on against us when it was clearly not a knock-on, it was play-on, so you can understand why when the way the game was going as it was going, when we never knocked the ball on, we get frustrated, we talk about test matches and turning on small points and, and again that just allowed us to release the pressure valve and yeah, so it was it was a big call in the match in my eyes. So you know, clearly, from a Scottish point of view, we're disappointed with it. Um, so Laidlaw, there, Rory. I, th- I think it's probably more nuanced than than people have suggested on social media. Um, Greg Laidlaw's um, criticism of Roman Poit. 
I just he didn't really feel like he was getting the rub of the green, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there were there were uh, there were a couple of things. I mean, the one the one that that Greg seemed to be going on about was, um, I think, when Strauss took the ball into contact and O'Brien ripped it, and uh, um, they were done for Scotland were done for a for a knock on. Yeah, um, but it was that change of possession led almost directly to the big. In fact, there was I think there was a scrum penalty which then led to the advantage, which was the Carney, the big long advantage. Which give, um, you know, when Ireland went charging down and then get called called back for another, for another shot, um, which basically with Scotland, Scotland had had a bit of been building a bit of momentum at that point, um, and it did it did reverse it quite, you know, that it was just coming up to that uh, sort of twenty minute mark. I mean, watching the game back yesterday, I was actually quite surprised because. When you're watching the the game the first time live, it, you know you you're kind of riding on your emotions and um, and possibly you know beer and other things, uh, depending on where you're, where you're watching it. But actually, when you watch the game back, the first twenty minutes of the fir- of the second half they weren't great, but Scotland weren't out of it by any means. I mean, mm. they were making mistakes, but Ireland were making it a few a few mistakes. It was just that last it was that last twenty minutes when suddenly the momentum shifted in Ireland's favour for just like a couple of minutes. They nabbed that try, and suddenly they had a lead, and then they were never going to give that lead up because they're too good at you know that that's what Irish teams are great at is protecting protecting a kind of margin of victory. Yeah. Um, and I think it just around it was just around that sort of twenty minute mark that momentum just shifted shifted crucially. And then I mean yes they were emptying you know Scotland were bringing on the benches to try and change things, but you know it was again it was it was twenty minutes. And Ireland are too experienced to. Uh, you know, to try and uh, to to let let that lead go, which means that Scotland had to Scotland had to chase it, and we're we're never very very good at that, unless you know, unless Nico's playing for Glasgow. That <laughs> George George Horn, there's an argument to say that George Horn, his particular brand of crazy, might be useful it's particular in that sort set of, of game. skills. Yeah, um, it's I mean it's interesting because going back to the Roman point because. Um, uh, he wa- we've talked about this in the past about Greg Laidlaw and he's, his his referee management is not one of his strong points because I think and I think we've said in the past it's because he's a scrum half and I think scrum halves are typically whiny little so and so's so I'm not sure that it, when we he struggled to get on the right side of referees before and that's where Barkley's made the difference in the past I think I'm not sure and like really Lord said we we had Poit against South Africa so I wonder whether or not to a certain extent we'd lost the referee before we even walked on the pitch given that Grieg also obviously is going to be refereed regularly by Roman Poit in France as well uh, there's possibly an element to that Barclays seems to be a more kind of cool head and you know you can just walk in at the back of things where there's as you said Greg's always there you know if you've got the ref mic on you can always hear him nipping away um, but you know I don't want to be too critical of Platt because I think we did shoot ourselves in the foot quite a lot um, particularly the second half but there were some definite incidents where you think hang on somebody needs to Someone else, I can't remember who it was that said it on a blog, and I've not actually picked this one out, but um, particularly Jones and Gatland, they uh, they like to call out the referees before games and say, oh, we need to watch out for this, we need to watch out for that. Um, and as has been the case with many fans saying about maybe our pack's too nice, maybe Tooney's too nice uh, when, he, when he's doing pre-match interviews. You know, he, he doesn't go in for that kind of mind game 
sort of stuff that they do. Um, but then Joe Smith, but I guess Joe Smith doesn't either because he was fairly magnanimous in victory as well. He, you know, he wasn't too. He, he was quite gracious in saying he'd missed things. He hadn't quite seen things. He didn't. He wasn't prepared to comment one way or the other on what Greg Laidlaw had said. So no, he he was more about when the bus turns up. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Yes, blames the bus rather than the referee. Um, yeah, it's an interesting. One. I mean, one one thing that came to mind is I wonder whether Greg Greg smart, Greg Laidlaw smarter than people are giving him credit for because if you go and say something like that about a referee. Even if it's because he at the time said in the BBC post-match interview on the telly says very much clearly we don't see eye to eye, but that didn't lose us the game. But you wonder whether part of him knows that that's then going to be the headline the next day, rather than Scotland were beaten or Scotland performed poorly in the second half. So you wonder whether or not. I mean, it could be. I mean, I think Gregor Townsend said in the post-match. Um, press conference when he was asked about it well he's a scrum half and they'll always they always like a moan um but you wonder whether there's a slight bit of that to if if i say this then it sort of diverts attention a little bit away from the loss yeah i mean certainly yeah it it shouldn't um it shouldn't sort of uh, we shouldn't allow it to to kind of gloss over the deficiencies in in what scotland did on them on the park um i think it's one of those it's one of those ones where there are you know, there are always little grumbles about decisions, but usually there's enough on both sides that you can say, okay, well, you know, we got away with that, they got away with that, but there was just, yeah, there was just a couple, a couple which you know, which seemed to affect the game. Certainly, losing Hog was a big blow for the way the team plays, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he might, he might well have been trying to deflect attention. I mean, maybe in the back of his mind, he's thinking, well, if I come out and publicly, sort of. Pick, pick a pick a beef with him, then maybe they maybe he won't get assigned to any of our games in the next sort of round. Of, you know, <laughs> yeah, I guess we're thinking. Yeah, probably, but you know, it might. It you know, it could be at the could be at the back of their minds. Um, it probably won't do him any good once he gets back to France the next time that Poitiers referee in Clermont. But. No. Yeah, and you you do. I think well, I think it's like somebody said on Saturday. Well, fingers crossed, we don't get him um, for the Allen match in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll, so, have Nigel, we'll have Nigel Owens. Good, that that's good. Nigel, who gives us lots of time on the ball. Um, yep. In terms of the the other the other parts of the game, then did you pick any comments out from the blog, Rory? Yeah, um, the I had one from FF um, who said uh, the fact is that we did manufacture a guilt edge chance, and Jones and Seymour contrived to waste it. Playing against the best sides in the world, you might only get three or four good try scoring opportunities, and if you aren't clinical enough to take them, then you won't win. Ireland beat us, and they really didn't create anything much beyond what they scored. That's the difference, and I think that's that's pretty fair. I mean, if you think about, certainly the first try was a complete gift. Um, if we had taken advantage of a couple of opportunities early on that were possibly um, interrupted by Irish kind of indiscipline, that didn't get picked up. But certainly, just not giving them that try would have made a major difference to the way that first half played out. Um, Scotland were playing, you know, Scotland were playing pretty pretty well. If Ireland don't have that extra Five point cushion. Um, well, first, probably, um, which could have could have put a different complexion on it. But I think FS right there. Um, you just don't get the. Uh, you just don't get the. Um, you don't get that many opportunities against a, a sort of defence as well organised as Ireland. Um, you're certainly not going to get that many against England, and you can't afford to be blowing a two on one, even if it's not a 
cast iron two on one. You know that that um, the uh, the one just before half time with uh, with Jones and Seymour we ran a wee poll on the uh, poll on the the <laughs> Twitter today just to see um, see who thought uh, whether we thought who blew it and the current uh, actually I'll just check the results. Yeah, fifty six percent say Tom it was Tommy's fault. Forty four percent say it was Hugh's fault. Forty four percent are wrong. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, those guys should be, should be able to put, to put that that uh, that try away. You'd think, or at least, and at least you know, get get within a, a meter of the line rather than no drop balls. There was a couple of other ones. Um, there was Finn when Finn did that little run where he sort of bamboozled the defence for just that fraction of a second to give himself a bit more time. Puts together a lovely grubber, and Tommy sort of bent down to pick it up and then threw it in any direction he could from to avoid going into touch. You think maybe if he just kicks that towards the humongous in-ball area, um, somebody, uh, I think it was Johnson, might might have gotten on the end of that. I mean, yeah, Ireland might have got it, but it's it's a better than it's better better than fifty fifty and better than what actually happened, which was was nothing. Um, although I think they chopped off for a forward pass in the end anyway. So yeah, it was a forward um, pass. Was it? Um... Uh, but yeah, it's just yeah, just to you know, um, there are there were chances there, um, and you do yeah you do have to take them. I wonder. I mean, it's interesting because it's we I mean, years well not years ago. It seems like the distant past, but but not too long ago we were spot, talking about Scotland having white line fever, and I almost wonder it's something slightly different, particularly with Jones and Seymour. It's not a, it's it's almost like something in their head clicks and they think oh remember that time when I ran it in from 50 yards and burst through three defenders every time they get the ball they try yeah. something that's not on and it's almost like that I mean a lot of the t- there was an interesting article on I think it was Rugby Pass I can't remember who wrote it looking at all Scotland's chances and just the fact that uh, you know there was a couple of times I think Jones was trying to run around people rather than straightening up and if he'd straightened yeah. up a bit there were overlaps you know, because the moment you start running around someone, then all of a sudden you're losing your width, and it's strange because that's something that we've said in the past. Jones is good at, and it's weird yeah. that he's now trying not to. And I just wonder whether a part of it is every time Seymour and Jones get the ball, they're now they're they're almost expecting to be able to sort of break through defenders and score wonder tries. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting the thing on that rugby pass with the with the sort of. Um, Kind of crabbing across. That was that was like the first thing for the the very few um, rugby training sessions that I attended when I was a schoolboy. Um, that was the first thing they said. You know, run run straight and pass the ball. Don't uh, don't run. You know, don't run sideways because you just close down space for the guys outside you. It was almost like I mean, watching. That, uh, it was like watching minis almost. You might have expected yeah, to run the wrong you, way. Yeah, you can and you can you can see um, you can see it happening when they show you those kind of spider cam views over, over overhead. Um, and I mean that that uh, that Rob Carney no arm shoulder bars thing that was, you know that was all he had to do because by that point there were about four Scotland guys in about a meter of space all bunched up and he just had to shunt one of them into touch. Um, it's just yeah, and when and when they're doing that, what you're having to do is then players are cutting back inside, crossing across you know behind each other, but they're running back into the traffic where the you know all the defenders are coming across. The whole reason, you know, to get it to to kind of to fi- fix your man and pass it pass it wide is that you can you keep the def- the defense doesn't get that time to come across. 
Um, mm. But if you run across, they can run across too, and it just yeah, it sh- shuts down your space. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we you know we we talk a lot about the the fastest brand of rugby that Scotland want want to play, and you know a lot of the discussion is right, which is the which is the fifteen that is best to play that brand of rugby, but actually um, Ireland and you know other other great teams or good very good teams they're they're almost capable of adjusting mid-game the style in which they're playing you know so they're i mean they might have been tempted to to try and throw it throw it a bit wide at the start but after they find they were in a proper game half time they you know they tightened it up and they were just going they were doing the simple things going out the middle but they just weren't making mistakes and that was quite a lot of the Irish pundits afterwards were just saying, you know, the reason they won that game was just because they kept it simple and Scotland pushed it too much and didn't didn't make mistakes. Um, so it's almost like Scotland need to learn to, to to switch their style kind of regardless of personnel, which, I mean, Finn is showing that he's more capable of doing now with, uh, you know, with uh, the variety to his kicking game that he's, he seems to have picked up in France. Um, but yeah, it's just a shame. At the moment, you know, Scotland can play two, two styles within one game, but the current two styles are good and bad. Yeah, I think that it's interesting. The Finn Russell's an interesting one because I think today in terms of that, not the white line fever, but that kind of every time I get the ball, I'm I'm going to do something spectacular kind of thing. <laughs> that, that was almost, Finn was guilty of that a couple of seasons ago and he really seems to have tightened up quite a lot, Ian. I mean, yeah. you gave you gave him man of the match. Yeah, that's, um, you know, obviously I'm a big Finn lover. Uh, Finn a Finn fan. Lover. A Finn <laughs> fan, yes. <laughs> um no, like like you said, I think he has um, he's shown a lot more level of control. Um, he's not always trying the ridiculous. You know, there's um, you know he can flip from the sublime to ridiculous. There seems to be a lot less of that. But he just seems to have a bit more patience, you know. And um, you know, I don't want to complain about Sexton getting hit late, going to the game line. Finn's just even with the early game as well. He seems to be waiting to delay. Or just waiting to look for the right pass. Uh, he's kicking from hands, gotten better. It's always been, you know, fairly solid. But uh, obviously, playing in France, he's just looking to turn those big units round. And I thought he was excellent again. Uh, Richie again was superb. Um, well, as good as, as anyone in the Scotland team. But you know, did give away a really silly penalty towards the end, which is what possibly swayed me. Uh, and also the, the fact that I love Finn Russell. Just watching Finn Russell, I think is um, he's, he's he is by far the best standoff I think I've seen in my time playing for Scotland, and he is one of the best in the world. Yeah, I think, and, and that's that's the thing is that he's he's the one Scotland player that seems capable at the minute of of sort of change, adapting and changing to what's in front of him, and that's that's kind of what I think frustrated me about the the, the Sexton criticism. I don't think Scotland players were doing anything wrong, but. People just said, "Well, that's what how Sexton plays. He takes it to the line." And you think, "Well, if if you're taking it to the line in a game and you're getting absolutely smashed every time to the point where you're going off injured halfway through the first half, presumably, you know, get smashed once, fine. Get smashed three or four times. Something inside you's got to think. Well, do I need to maybe just play a little deeper?" Yeah, I mean, it's particularly brave of him, but um, you know, he was. I mean, he's always going to be a marked man. He's the World Player of the Year. So, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, with Bowden Barrett be complaining about that kind of thing. No, but if, if if you are going to put yourself into the firing line and you've got, a, you know, a number six or a number eight lining you up and you're going to, like, delay your pass that often. I mean, I've looked back on the game and I don't think any of them are particularly dodgy. 
Um, there's maybe one by Johnny Gray, which is maybe a tad late. But the rest of them, it's fair game. Yeah, they've all already committed, haven't they? Um, yeah. In ter- I mean, the, the interesting thing you were saying, Roy, was about the, the difference between Scotland and Ireland. And, and Gregor Townsend was asked in the press conference, I think, about the, the quote from last year after this game where he said Scotland were three to four years behind Ireland in terms of development. Uh, and he was asked about that again, and this is what he had to say. What, what probably what I meant um, with that was the the experience of the players and the the experience that they'd they'd gone through, whether it was um, World Cups together and and Six Nations. Um, I was hoping that uh, it wouldn't be three years, three or four years of our development as as a as a team. Um, and that's one more experience today. I, I really um, I'm so proud of the players today, with the, the way they played, um, the effort they put in. A game of rugby is, is a lot of things. It's it's the defence battle that you have to do, the contact battle, the kicking game now is so important, um, and the pressure we put on Ireland's kicks and what we do with kick return ball. I thought we we won the, those battles. Um, our contact work against a very good defence, a defence that will look to hold you up in the tackle, rip the ball, or compete for the ball was was outstanding today. Just that final piece, the execution of set piece. Which has been really good. Um, that 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 fell off the jigsaw today, and that's that's my fault. I'm the I'm the tag coach, and we weren't able to to get those two or three phases um, either to get behind the defence in two or three phases, or set up our, our attack shape, which was working well in the first half. So Ian um, Townsend was talking about the he, he sort of put it down a, a failure to execute the sex the sex the set piece. So I'm, I didn't mean to say sex. So I was going to say I had sexton on my brain, not sex on the brain. Um, the, the execution of the set piece, um, and he's he, he sort of put that on himself as the attack coach. Do you think that's fair? Not really, because you know, well, I mean, the second half it was just a. I was about to swear there, here's a sweary term. But it was just a cluster of errors. Um, you know, knock-ons in contact. Uh, first half, though, I mean, this thing, we we thought the scrum was going to be, I, I personally thought the scrum was going to be just a penalty factory for Ireland, uh, particularly with Nell missing, and we had Dell and Bergen on. Um, but that went solidly. You know, we, I think we lost two penalties, maybe. Whereas, uh, you know, it, like I said, it could have been a penalty factory two years ago when we had Xander Fagerson playing one of these first games against Ireland. Ireland kind of deliberately cheated and bored in on him to just milk that all the same. Uh, line out, you know, what was it? I think we had 70%, which isn't great. Um, they were 100%. Um, but, you know, I don't I don't think the set piece was the issue at all. Um it was just, particularly second half, just individual errors, lots of knock-ons in contact, um, you know, getting into rocks and then aimlessly, seemingly dropping it, or occasionally the ball was getting ripped and Platt was deciding it was a knock-on. Um, so I don't I don't think Townsend should... I think Townsend's given himself too much blame there for that, to be, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, you go, Rory. I was just going to say, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, yeah, I think he probably meant the, you know, the the attacking set piece, but I mean, there was that strange kind of uh, fake fake kick to the corner, which didn't really come off, which presumably somebody called, but I would imagine that gets called on the pitch, surely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, most of the most of the kind of late late stage of mistakes, they weren't off attacking set pieces. They were they were just kind of in in open play. I would have thought. Yeah, I mean that late that late kick for the penalty was it was a completely stupid move because the Irish were completely set in defence waiting for it. Yeah. 
which was just it was an odd decision. I don't know who. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know who called that. I mean, it's one of those things. I suppose. Um, I mean, they, they, we were talking about this in the autumn. Just that that on on pitch decision making. It just it's not quite clicking at the minute. Um, Ian, what did you did you choose a comment from? Oh, uh, we've just done yours. Uh, Rory, did you have anything else from the 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 comments? Um, not really. I mean, yeah, the other um, the other comment I had we pretty much covered that. Um, just it was about what. Uh, Platt and uh, some of the other stuff. Um, I guess there is a little bit uh, that after Wilson went off, we looked a little bit rudderless. Harley has been a good, is a good player. He's been a great servant for Glasgow, but he's not international class. With doubts on Hogan Jones, also let's hope Russell manages to come through this weekend unscathed at Racing. Otherwise, we'll be down to the bare, the bare bones. Which is, of course, um, normal service resumes this weekend. Most of the Scotland camp will be. Uh, Will be wrapped in cotton wool, but uh, yeah, there'll be one or two who who will have to go and uh, go and do their thing back over in France. Yeah, um, Ian, did you have any before? I've I've got quite a few um, stuff from Twitter and, and elsewhere. Did you have any other comments from the blog? Uh, I've picked a few out to be honest. Um, I'll go with uh, Ruggers B one. Um, seems we've talked about Laidlaw earlier on. Uh, the initial comment was from uh, Wabster. Need to give him credit, you know, for. Uh, but his post was quite long. Um, so with regards to Laidlaw, uh, Ruggers B has said, I think Horn is simply better suited to the scrum half role for the style of play GT is shooting for. Uh, I think changing your scrum half depending on the team you play disrupts any momentum you have. Russell needs to work hard on his kicking. Don't agree with that, to be honest. And we need to move on from Laidlaw starting at scrum half. We are holding George Horn back at test level, waiting for magical maturity to appear. Russell's got you know, Russell's kicking game uh, off the tee and in hand is absolutely fine. Uh, he, you know, he's he's one of the few guys who's over an eighty percent are from the tee. Um, and you know, as much as I don't want to uh, annoy the uh, the Greg Lloyd lovers in there, <laughs> I do think if we if we are going to play a fast paced game, George Horn, I mean Price for me, Ali Price ever since the Wales game, his form is nosedived um, even like decent games for Glasgow he's 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 not the, the player he was whereas George Horn um, you know I think he is the future um, obviously Laidlaw is what 33 now so it's going to be his last World Cup definitely probably his last Six Nations and George Horn needs to be blooded at test level and when he has played at test level he's actually done pretty well even like defeat against Wales in the autumn uh, he, he was pretty good uh, the game in Argentina, him and Hastings on Argentina ragged. So, you know, I think it's maybe maybe time to unleash the horn. Is it not just? Do you not think it's a case of uh, we're building to a World Cup, and it's too soon? Well, let's be honest. Like our chances of winning the title are now shot to dust. Um, I think even when when Hamish Watson went off injured against Montpellier, I mean, watching that game, just going, right, that's us done now." because um, yeah, we've got so many injuries this is this is not a full strength Scotland theme that we're watching this is I think we should almost be using this as a feeder tournament um, you know that's why I think maybe Johnson's getting picked even with Horn fit I think I still think Sam Johnson if he is going to be fit should play again against France because he's you know he's, he's done particularly well um, Richie he wasn't going to be starting he's uh, he's playing very well so I think maybe as we should maybe use this as a sort of pleaser tournament. 
Um, you, get was, George Horn on. Yeah, I was actually the next game. You think against France, stick George Horn on to run at, Ma- at Bastero after sixty minutes, <laughs> or just all game. That would be fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I would just start him if he's you know if um, like the Italy game. I saw him holding tackle bags. Him and Pete were holding tackle bags. Oh, there's wee George. Oh, yeah. oh sorry, Hornito. <laughs> to get from his proper name, um, and you know we know what Laidlaw can do. We know what he brings. And like I said, we're not going to win this Six Nations. Is it maybe just time to give someone like George Horner a run out to yeah. play in what what we think is going to be the Tunis style? Because he wants to play the fastest rugby in the world. And uh, I don't think I've seen many faster than George Horn. No, uh, it's a good point. The other, I mean, the other Laidlaw's been the one backlash, one of the areas of backlash this this weekend, and the other one's been Johnny Gray. It's been building for a while, um, and. I think we've touched. I don't really get it. I mean, it, it, there was a couple of people saying, I think, on the forum and elsewhere, he looked spent. But there's no way that if, if Johnny Gray was spent, one, I don't think he looked spent at all. And I think if, if he was spent, there's no way that he would have been allowed to play 80 minutes of rugby in that game when when Scotland were chasing a game. So I don't. I think that the, you know they were. I mean, they, all these players wear GPS trackers and stuff like that. So you would think that if he was spent, Tula sat on the bench, they would have hold him off I don't think there was any sign at all that he looked spent he made his tackles I mean how many tackles did he make like, like 20 he's normal sort of 25 24 25 yeah. 24-25 um, one thing we had in I mean um, th- there was a lot of talk on the blog as well about th- this idea that Toulouse does unseen work um, particularly in the scrum now we've asked two well they're not experts we'd say this <laughs> asked, um, we asked Sandy um, on uh, who's our uh, resident Edinburgh correspondent who's played in the front row and he was of the view that yeah, Toulis has come on quite a lot this season but Sandy was hard pressed to say how you could tell from looking at a scrum how well one lock is doing to another um, and I asked my brother as well who play, plays, plays front row uh, as a hooker and he just said there's maybe a bit of intelligence in terms of how you transfer your weight but there's no way you could tell that from looking at a scrum, you can only tell you can really tell by asking, I guess the prop and the hooker how much weight's coming through behind them. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get the Johnny Gray backlash. I think, and I think if you look at the way the defence did, and it's particularly in the first half, it really pushed Ireland way back from the gain line time and time again. So without doing anything particularly spectacular, which comes back to last week when we talked about dominant tackles, now ridiculous that is as a stat. If you're just making your tackles and you're slowly pushing the defend, the attack backwards, then you're doing the right thing. Absolutely, you know. Um, let's talk about Toulouse being such a, a great scrummaging lock, um, you know, because he's behind the tight head. So obviously he's going to take on that extra extra weight coming in from the the loose and the hooker. Um, but you know, the Italy scrum is nothing compared to what the the Ireland scrum is meant to be. You know, get uh, tight. Furlong was playing uh, tight head, and the Scotland scrum very rarely took a step back. Yeah. Um, so I don't think either if it's Gilco or Gray, you know, if if Tillis is going to get dropped for Gilco or Johnny Gray, um, that there was any noticeable deficit in uh, in the scrummaging there. No, I mean the the other thing in terms of the tackle stats, Rich got in touch on Twitter to ask whether Scotland are too focused on tackle stats. He said. Oh, I, 
if we were better, we wouldn't be we wouldn't have to put in as many tackles. We'd stop celebrating high tackle counts, not high tackle counts and high tackles as in like the high number of tackles, and and look at why we need to make so many. And he he wondered whether or not the All Blacks celebrate tackle stats in the same way. But I had a look at it, and actually they do. That that but they're not just obsessed about tackles. And I think this is this is what maybe is a point worth looking at is that the all when you look at their sort of typical um the 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 um kiwi media especially like stuff dot co dot nz i think which are the most out the ones that tend to get outraged as soon as the all blacks sort of nearly get beaten um they're quite keen on on tackle stats but what they look at is accuracy and i think that's maybe what we don't well I say we, not just we on the blog, but but elsewhere in Scotland, we don't particularly focus on because there was a lot of talk about Strauss and how many tackles he made this week, but he missed five, whereas nobody else is missing that many. I think sim- similar with Harley. Um, we'll get the stats up here. So yes, Strauss um, completed twenty-five, but missed five. So I think the stats were saying he made thirty tackle. You know, put him on thirty tackles, but actually missed five of them. And then similarly with. Um, Rob Harley, for, you know, completed fourteen but missed three. But Gilchrist and Gray are missing none. Um, so I think that's where, and I suppose you look at Tullis's stats. Thinking against Italy, I think we said he made six and missed three. Missed three, yeah. He's got like a fifty percent strike rate. Yeah. Um, so I don't. I think. I think accuracy is more. I think we. It's not worth getting excited about a player doing thirty tackles if they're missing five of them. No, but if you're not letting a man pass you, then you know. Well. This thing, like uh, I think, in particular, Scrummo was um, like praising Ben Tullis for his off the ball work. But you know, Gray and Gilchrist, Gray in particular, hits as many rucks. You know, if that's grunt, if that's what you're considering grunt work, um, like we said already about the scrum, um, which wasn't taking a step back, and then Gray's only missing. Like I think maybe I'd seen on ESPN, Gray had missed one tackle out of twenty-five. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's a lot better than. And I saw that you tackle. You, three out of six. And I saw that tackle, and actually, he, he he slipped the tackle, but he did enough to slow the player down quite considerably. So it wasn't it wasn't like he flew out the line and missed somebody completely. He got the guy, just didn't complete the tackle. wasn't classed as completed. So there's even little things like that you start to look at. And I think you're right. I think Gray's const. You know, he's he's the one making tackles time and time again. I mean, from whatever I've seen at Toulouse at international level, is he hits a ruck and then sort of slowly meanders back to the defensive line. And sort of wait, waits for the attack to come his way again, but but Johnny Gray's always front and centre. Yeah, I mean the other other thing, I think it was one of the Irish uh, Irish sort of pods on on Twitter had uh, pointed out. If you look, there's kind of five Scotland forwards there who had made more than twenty tackles, and usually there's you know usually you get one or two pushing twenty, but when most of you know the majority of your pack are having to make that many tackles, um, I think. Celebrating the tackle stats has become uh, second to figuring out why are you, why are you having to make those you know that many tackles? Yeah. Um, how can you how can you get the ball back off the team that are basically just carrying hard at you, quite happy not to make any ground? You know they're not fast. They'll wait if they get a chance they'll take it. But if not, they know that in the last twenty minutes you guys are all going to be knackered. And Johnny Gray did look pretty tired in the last twenty minutes. You know he missed a couple of lineouts late on. Um, and you know the guy. That's when guys were were knocking balls on, slipping off to, or forcing offloads to people who weren't expecting them, and things like that. And I think that all that all comes down to to fatigue towards the end of the game as well. I mean, I know the guys would back their fitness, I'm sure, but you could see that that 
against a team, you know, the top teams make you work that little bit extra um, where where fatigue is definitely going to come into it. Worrying for me as well, Johnny Gray seemed to be holding his shoulder again towards the end of the game. Yeah. Um, Alan Dell put in a hell of a shift. Was it? I think mm-hmm. he was on 22 tackles, um, yeah. 21, yeah. 22. He did very well. Um, he was, apart from, this, apart from the yeah. Joey, Joey Carberry, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, that incident. <laughs> yeah. Um, the um, the other thing, I mean, the we, other big, big. Sorry, you go, wide, Rory. I was just going to say we could call that we could call that Carberry Gate because it, they were literally like <laughs> yeah. a gate. Very nice. Yeah, I think it was the fact that that Dell and Harley almost tackled each other. Yeah, it looked yeah. like they actually knocked heads. I'm surprised there wasn't an HIA. You could sort of go off in, in Gordy Reid style and say, "Oh well, I'm, I hit my head. It wasn't my fault." Yeah, I think. I mean, I, for what it's worth, I think for the Carberry to Earls pass was one of those strange matters of physics where the ball. I suppose from a from a physics point of view, the ball does go forward, but from a rugby laws point of view, it was travelling backwards. backwards. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't don't have a problem with that pass. Um, there was plenty more that the, the TMO could have looked at. Um, the other thing that that's been raised, and um, thank you very much to um, who sent this, John Christensen, who who got in touch by email with quite a long one, and and we've covered a lot of the points that John's raised already. But um, one was the crowd. Now, John, John um, has taken issue with, um, I think it was Sexton being booed. I think they're just booing the kicking in in, in general at Murrayfield, and and we've talked about this previously on the podcast. And for some reason, out of the blue, I put a tweet out saying your, you know, your trending new breakdown stat is the last compliment you got from your manager plus your favorite breakdown uh move uh, which had some really good some quite depressed some some of you got horrible managers out there yeah. <laughs> i have to say some of them were not compliments um and some but but some irish i think paul williams uh, from rugby world retweeted that and then some irish bloke just replied saying not booing the kicker, and I said that's a really strange um, compliment to get from your manager. And he then just started having a go at me for Scotland fans booing the kicker, to which I said well, that's not really my fault. But it is; it has been it has been a big thing this weekend. I'm not. I mean, th- there was somebody I think on the forum suggesting that Sexton got booed because of the amount of time that kick took, and because of the way the Ireland try was scored. I think because of the tackle on Hog as well. They weren't necessarily booing the kicker, and it didn't. It, but it's all—I mean—it's always happened at Murrayfield. But it happens everywhere, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like as as an initial sort of hands and rug, but I thought uh, you would be end up covering this. Um, I said the overegg piety of other supporters, because um, it it does happen everywhere, and even at Murrayfield, you know, it was—it didn't seep in until the end of the run-up, and I, I don't think it was a deliberate ploy to put. Sexton off. It was just more of a, all right, you're milking the time on this, and I've seen it at Scotston as well. Um, you know, if you're taking far too long to take the kick, that's when people start booing. Or if, as you've said there, um, you know, if if the crowd feel it's been the wrong call and they're up to the try, um, but it does happen everywhere. So I don't really see why people are obviously like, oh, it's all Scotland. I think we, someone said that all Scotland fans are classless. Yeah. So uh, well, uh, I I'm pretty sure that Owen Farrell was getting a wee bit heckled last week. You know when he's doing his little run up and squinty eye look at the ball. Shitty dog from The Simpsons. Yeah. You <laughs> could um, you could also hear. Um, I mean, you could you could hear the Irish fans of Murrayfield doing it when Laidlaw was taking his kick. Admittedly, not as loudly, but there was still you know, there was still a bit of noise. It's 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 a strange one. I think 
I, I was um, trying to figure out when it was. I think when we had Alan Dimmick on the podcast, possibly at the end of last Six Nations, he was saying he doesn't have an issue with it. He was saying, well, people pay their money. Um, do you know, they can do what they want. And actually, is it more intimidating for a kicker to have absolute silence than it would be to be booed? And I don't think they care. I don't think they'd notice. No, I think once you you know you start your process for it, whether it's your Dan Bigger Macarena or uh, whatever, um, you know, you just, um, surely you phase all that out, and it's just about you and the ball. Yeah, um, unless you're uh, unless it's Toulon when Lee Halfpenny took that kick and they decided to play the Star Wars theme, <laughs> <laughs> which is where we Google Toulon Lee Halfpenny and that'll come up. That's well, well worth looking out. Um, the other hands in the ruck from the game that we had was the social tight head who say his said his hands in the ruck was the banners on the big screen at Murrayfield. Uh, I think they take up about, somebody said the bottom third of the screen um, with just messages. He, uh, he said, I don't want to miss a grounding or foot and touch because Granny and Papa want to wish their little angel a happy birthday. Have they never heard of Moonpigged? Yeah, fair point. Yep. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, and I think um, Rich on Twitter then piped in and, and suggested that might have explained Pratt's performance on Saturday. I don't know if he means that Pratt would have missed the action because of the banner or whether he was just distracted by all the uh, all the birthday messages. Yeah, someone sent him a sent him a his, his boys back at the station sent him a message. <laughs> Very true. Um, the quite pause that I put for the pair of you then before we move on and we, we'll, we'll have a quick look at fantasy, uh, the fantasy league in a minute. But um, in terms of Richie coming through, it was a really interesting one because he wouldn't. I don't think he would have come through if we hadn't been so depleted by injuries. And it's great that he has done because because he's he's really had an opportunity to get game time. But where does that leave us in terms of the World Cup? And I know you did the article, Rory. Um, was it before the autumn that or that you did your World Cup squad if we had to pick it now? Oh, we've, yeah, we've done we've done them since time immemorial. But I think your last one was just before yeah. the autumn, was it? Yeah. Yeah. I'll see, I'll, I'll just probably, because based on what you're probably about to ask, I'll probably contradict whatever I wrote there. <laughs> no, I haven't, I haven't looked, I haven't looked it up. Um, but yeah, I've, I've said, I sort of tasked both of you with, um, I think I said nine players at lock and back row because they can be interchangeable. Because there was nine went yeah. in twi- 2015, which was, um, Gilchrist slash Cowan, because Cowan replaced Grant Gilchrist. Then you had Johnny Gray, Richie Gray, Tim Swinson, David Dent, and John Hardy, Josh Strauss. Alistair Strokosh and Ryan Wilson. Now, obviously, Strokosh and Cowan can in, could, in theory, um, I think, play second row. So, what have you gone for, Ian? Uh, well, seeing as you said it was if all fit. If all fit, yeah. Uh, yep, yeah, I've gone for Locks. I've gone for both the Grey Boys, Gilchrist and Sam Skinner. Um, obviously, he's fit in the back. And I'm sorry for all the Toulouse lovers, but he's out. Uh, back row, Barks, Watson, Wilson, Bradbury and Ritchie um, with the caveat that Blade Thompson uh, could possibly come in if he's fully fit. Um thing with this, well, like, with the back row choices, you know, we've heard that Exeter want to play Skinner at eight and people have been you know, saying, well, we don't have a proper number eight. So Skinner's possibly in there if he can do that. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of Scotland fans seem to assume there's going to be some kind of hard carry and genius number eight that we can pluck out from nowhere. Who's ready, um, ready to play in a World Cup? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not going to be the case. So it's going to be like Wilson or Bradbury, um, Barkley, an absolute push, or Skinner at eight. Um, I think with the Grey Brothers, uh, 
if a fully fit Richie Gray is, as we know, an absolute weapon, he's a decent carrier, uh, tackle monster, line out machine, since he's six foot nine. Um, and I realistically don't think you can leave Johnny Gray out. Um, I'm a big fan of Gilco. I like like the Gilco Johnny Gray uh, lock combo we've got at the moment. Um, yeah, so Tulis for me is cut, and that's my back rows are like I said, Barks, Watson, Wilson, Bradbury, and Richie, possibly Blake Thompson. Yeah, I think I had something similar. The I mean, what, what did you have anything different, uh, Rory? Uh, no, I've also looked at my the uh, World Cup squad that I picked before was based on the people who are fit, so we can discount that completely because obviously. Uh, this is a different different set of, set of criteria, um, but I had pretty much the same as as Ian. Um, I had the, the Gray brothers, Gilchrist and Skinner as the locks, uh, Richie Watson, Wilson and Barkley. But I had gone for Strauss at the moment. Um, I too am a fan of the idea of Bradbury, but I haven't seen enough of him at eight. And Blade Thompson also, yeah, I haven't seen enough of him either. So at the moment, I think Josh is in good form. Um, so I'm going to give him give him the shot. Yeah, I think that's I I I put my Tooney hat on rather than my my own hat on, and I would have gone. I think the only difference I had from Ewan was Strauss over Bradbury, and that was purely because I was thinking what is Townsend likely to do at this point in time. Um, I think you've got to, you've got to you've got to get experience in there as much as you can. Yeah, um, I mean Richie, I think is probably the. He's the young. I mean, it, it was hard for me leaving Hardy out. There's an argument to say that Hardy goes instead of Richie, but I think you can't ignore Richie's form at the moment. Hardy's been out of things for a wee while, so you'd have to see how the next few months went. Yeah, I think Hardy's only getting in if you have an injury to say Watson or Barkley. Yeah. At this point, realistically. Yeah. yeah. So, um, um, if you want to have a go at that, it's quite it's quite a hard thing to do because you you know everyone has a, a favourite player on the fringes, and it is quite a hard thing to do to sort of try and sort of fit. Fit round pegs into square holes and the like for that, particularly for those yeah, those two positions, those two sort of locks and back row. I think is particularly competitive. Yeah, because you're looking you're looking for you're looking to make you. I guess best way to start is to pick your first choice back row, but then you have to think right, have I got enough cover? And that that's where it's, you start getting your getting your head in a twist. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll move on to the fantasy league then. Um, I didn't really Jingle. want to. Oh, yeah, no, I haven't got it queued up. Um, I'll bring it back to our promise. I'm going to bring back Fantasy League uh, in two weeks' time. I'll bring back the jingle. I'll get it all queued up, and I'll I'll have, I'll have spent some time working out how to play it through. Um, I think I'm able to do it now. Um, I didn't really want to talk about this because I I can't actually see how well I'm doing in the league because it only tells you how the top 100 are doing on our leaderboard. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, wait, I might be able to find that. It next. tells me that I am 104 out of 164. Okay. So I can tell you what points I've got, which is because because I just got my uh, my little um, thing and it tells me how many points I've got. But uh, yeah, I am doing terribly. Um, you've dropped though, Rory. You were doing quite well. You set off quite well, Rory. And you. Yeah, I was. Uh, it, I had a I had a, a fluky uh, fluky reverse weekend. I think pretty much all of the four players I picked from my back three scored tr- at least one try. So it didn't really matter which of the three. I'd forgotten which ones I'd actually selected. Um, so all of them did pretty well last weekend, but this weekend I've foolishly swapped Jacob Stockdale for Liam Williams or something. Yeah, <laughs> so I've, I've I've shot down about forty-eight places or so. See, I've uh, magically managed to make up, even though I scored less points than last week. I've gone up fifty-three places. Good work. And it's seventy-fifth. So yeah, I'm not doing fantastically. But, how did uh, um, how did you manage that then? 
Well, uh, usually I would go with my patented pick, whoever's playing against Italy technique, but because um, you only you only get four transfers a week. Yeah. Um, so I think I put, I put Sam Johnson in. I had Jiffy already playing. I had to take out uh, like Tipperich. I think I swapped Tipperich for Navidi because Tipperich wasn't playing. Um, Backline was Daly, Stockdale, and Hogg. Hogg scored hee haw points because he went off injured. Yep. Um, locks were Courtney Laws and James Ryan, I think. I think that's where that's where I got my points, and I think I'm going to have to change my tactic too. I had my 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 other tactic was I'll pick the backs on whoever was playing um, Italy, but now I'm going to do it for whoever's playing France. Yeah, I mean, you could obviously you've almost got two now as long as France and Italy are not playing each other. That's that'll be a complicated week to, <laughs> to pick. Um, yeah, thank. And anybody want to get involved in that? It's on our um, the details are on the podcast post on the. Um, on the blog, there's a couple of good names this week. Um, I like this. This is a really obscure Star Trek Next Generation reference um, from Wookie Walk, which is the Temba, his arms wide, um, which is a really, really. I, I understood what that meant, but many people may uh, may not. <laughs> from, an, from one very specific episode of uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, that one. Um, the uh, other one, I think we've got uh, someone called Dirty Bastaro, who's gone for Dirty Bastaro's Kamikaze Imps. We've got an absolute right. bobbins. Uh, so yeah, there's some good names in there. I uh, I, I liked um, up climbing 24 places this week is because we'd rather have a bowl of rock of cocoa pops. Yes, that was very very <laughs> yeah. good. Um, From Jake or Beef, good work. Uh, yes, so um, we've we've had a few where's Dougie Donnellys as well this week as well this week. Uh, this is our sort of people spotted out and about bit of the podcast. Uh, Baldy Pete. On Twitter, saw Stuart McInerney and Simon Bergen having a copy in a coffee in a hipster cafe in Edinburgh. He said he's six foot three and sixteen stone, but they made him feel tiny. Um, I was saying I was surprised that Greg Laidlaw wasn't there hiding behind Simon Bergen because that seemed to be where he was the entire game. Every any time there were any afters, <laughs> there was one point where he was having a bit of afters with I think Stockdale, and Stockdale sort of like invited him back. So Greg Laidlaw comes back into shot with Simon Bergen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we also, uh, Danny Brown got in touch to say that he used the term, that's my hands in the ruck at work and was met with blank expressions. Um, so we asked if anyone else has used it and Ali Baxter said that he often sings a jingle before talking about something that annoys him. Uh, Danny also said he shared a shower with Al Dickinson at Bannantime's gym. Um, very politely, Danny did not give any more details, which is probably just as well. Uh, and he said he once saw Anton Bresler in Top Man, um, uh, he said Anton Bresler seemed a lovely man, which everybody says he is. But then Anton Bresler doesn't like me. He called me a journalist oh. on Twitter the other day. Journalist? Yeah. He called me a journalist. Yeah. No, he called. Me, I think he called me a so-called journalist, um, which I think I said was the worst thing I've ever been called. And yeah, then I had to off the yeah. back of that's off the back of uh, Joe Marlgate. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, he said. Yeah, Anton Bresler doesn't like me anyway. I'm sure he's a lovely guy. Oh. Um, anyway, Danny also sent me um, a very um, long but very good story that I think is worth sharing um, about his his attempts to get a Scotland shirt. Um, Danny is English-born but a massive Scotland rugby fan. He's married to a Scot, um, and Danny has a Cockney accent. And this is important to the story because for reasons best known to himself, Danny decided to go to the SRU shop to pre-order both the home and alternate shirts and put on a Scottish accent. He said <laughs> because he... 
he felt slightly embarrassed and didn't want to look a bit odd being a Cockney going and ordering two shirts. So he said he managed to put put the order in and no problem, but then chickened out and asked his wife to go and collect the order because he couldn't bear going back and trying to replicate the accent. But his wife forgot, so he had to go and collect it. But he was with his friend, so he then had to explain to his friend why he was about to go into a shop and speak in a very strange accent. But his friend, bless him, agreed to go in and, and get it for him. Now, flash forward a few weeks, and Danny gets a phone call. He thinks it's from his garage, uh, because his car's in for an MOT, and answers the phone, and say, uh, and the voice says, is that Danny? And he says, yes, it's Danny. Uh, and then the accent, uh, the voice at the other end explains that it's the SRU shop, and Danny has won a free prize draw and a free jersey, and a panicked Danny apparently shouts, oh, hello there. <laughs> <laughs> Much to the delight of his co-workers, and he says he's never lived it down. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever pretended to be um, Scottish or any other nationality um, to, to hide for, for reasons of embarrassment? Do let us know. Um, that was an excellent story, Danny. Thank you for letting us share it. I did check he was okay for us to read that out. Uh, it was a wonderful story. Um, other where's Doogie Donnelly's? We've had a lot in for that woman that's always on the telly waving her flag. <laughs> um, and a couple of people had it as their hands in the ruck. Uh, not in a bad way. Um, just asking why she's always on. Um her name is Amanda, I think, and I think she's actually French. We've done this before on the pod, but she... She, she lives in Paris. She uh, lives she in Paris. Scottish. She is Scottish, yeah. Amanda Gautaran. Yes, but she travels all around. I think she follows Scotland to home and away, even on the far-flung trips. Um, but they always get her in, 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 uh, on camera every game. Um, Adam Taylor um, was one of the people who got in touch, and he said we should do a special one-off, uh, Where's Doogie Donnelly, just about Amanda, because he saw her in the Murrayfield House pub before a match. So uh, last week, you, um, the ticket beside her was uh, taken by Cameron Scott, a.k.a. Hoglet. Yeah. So B. Ho- Hoglet was on the telly as well. Twice, because she got on twice yeah. in quick succession. Uh, well. So, well, there you go. So, yeah, if, if you've seen Amanda out and about, not on the telly, don't tell me she's on the telly. We've done this before, so this is the last time I'm covering it on the podcast. But if you see Amanda about on about, we'll happily cover that on uh, a Where's Doogie Donnelly. Um, we, had, we, we had our first reverse one, didn't we, Ian? You were, you were identified oh. or spotted. Oh no, sure. It's the second one seen as uh, my my other half, John Anderson, um, was uh, spotted at Murrayfield. Well, I say spotted, but uh, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the oral version for spotted would be. Well, urinating. Um, yeah, my my girlfriend works as a radiographer in the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, and uh, one of the A and E consultants was rubbing her for the fact that he had a ticket for the Scotland Ireland game, and she didn't. She said, "Oh, but my boyfriend's going to be there." Oh yeah, what's he do? Uh, he's he's writing on it, and uh, you know my name get bandied about, and he'd be like, "I read his stuff." So uh, yeah, so uh, if Doctor Neil Howie is listening, hello. Um, okay, it's time for hands in the ruck uh, or any other business section of the podcast. Like I said, we had a lot in for the game, so I just um, sort of banded them together um, for our for our chat about the game. And um, we had one in by email late on today um, from. Fraser Reddick, who said his hands in the ruck is every time any team loses or a player makes a mistake, people calling it disgraceful in floor, forums, blogs, social media, etc. So apart from being really unpleasant thing to say about someone representing their team country, it is nowhere near ninety nine percent true. No near, sorry, it is nowhere near true ninety nine percent of the time. There was nothing disgraceful about losing to Ireland at the weekend. Disappointing and frustrating, certainly, but we lost narrowly and for the most part played well. Yes, I would agree with that. I think a lot of people get very outraged for clicks. 
Yeah, I've also seen uh, somebody on the rugby forum referring to Peter Horn uh, just yesterday, even though he's not been playing as a natural-born loser, uh, which I thought was absolutely despicable. Seen as, well, I mean, back in fourteen fifteen when Glasgow won the Pro Twelve, um, on St- Dunbar had gone down injured before the England game. Then Mark Bennett got injured against Leinster uh, a couple of weeks later, and you know a lot of us were a bit concerned. It was like, oh, we're down to Horn and Richie Vernon. Uh, you know, old glass glass legs like Shea Vernon um, playing at centre and uh, then they went and won the tournament so to call Peter Horn a natural born loser is completely out of order yeah um, you know he's, he's a damn fine player and he just gets stick for unknown reasons to be honest yeah it is a strange it is a strange thing having I mean I know we do sometimes well we don't do it on the blog but I know sometimes on Twitter I post things deliberately sort of poking the bear just as a bit of tongue in cheek but I, I think it's always fairly clear it's tongue in cheek but there is a, an, an element of sort of people putting contrary and it comes back to what we said earlier I think in the, in the season about people putting it down in, in my humble opinion at the end or that's just my opinion when quite clearly it's some outrageous statement that can't be supported by facts and then you counteract it with facts and then you go oh but it's just my opinion it's like well I've just proven your opinion to be a bunch of bull nonsense um, no I think people just get this idea in their head that this person is not the player that I like I want my favourite guy playing there therefore any time this person makes the slimmest of mistakes like uh, that Horn uh, against Fiji when Horn should have passed it Seymour I went himself then for the rest of the game he had an absolute blinder Hmm. Um, but then people still go, "Oh, Pete Horn should be dropped." It's like, why? Yeah. Look, if we can, if we can open this podcast saying that Ryan Wilson is going to be a huge loss to Scotland for the rest of the Six Nations, then you know, we can change, you can change. As you know, to paraphrase Rocky Balboa at the end of Rocky Four, everybody can change. <laughs> um, the other one we had in, we've had quite a few. The, the next one was leads into mine quite nicely, which is Craig Simpson said he's getting fed up of the this isn't football brigade, um, which kind of leads into my hands in the ruck, which is the Irvin Welsh tweet, um, which came back. He retweeted somebody who was a Hibs fan who said, I'm going to paraphrase what the original tweet said. It said, rugby fans um, weeing and being sick all over Ember tonight. Um, getting free cans of lager before the game from tenants, lifting up kilts, exposing themselves to men, women and children. Nothing to see. It's just a laugh, says the police. These folk are privileged. Now move on. Um, and Irvin Welsh sort of commented on that, said it's football. If football fans behaved like that, they would be arrested, jailed and put on the sex offenders list. Time for the, that time the establishment stopped being chin-stroking sociologists for the privileged and vicious social controllers for the working classes. Um, I don't necessarily agree with it 100%, but I think that the sentiment's there. That, uh, and, and when I put this out on Twitter, that I kind of agreed with Irvin Welsh. A lot of people came back and just said, yeah, but you, at rugby matches, people don't throw coins and they don't, there's not sectarian abuse and things like that. But I don't, it's not necessarily a race to the bottom. And, you know, there's plenty of football games. Most football games, I would say, it's not every football game that people throw coins or hurl sectarian and abuse at each other. It's it's probably the minority, if you looked at it. It's just that the majority of it gets reported. So I, I, I take the point. I think, we, I think rugby fans do get a massive free pass. And it's probably something that rugby fans need to be more aware of, particularly as, the, as, as Murrayfield games get more popular. Because if... Uh, it's it's not going to take much for there to be a tipping point and a change in attitudes. 
Oh, well, this is, uh, you know, we've discussed this before, and it's something that really annoys me as a guy who enjoys his football. Um, you know, we had, uh, well, I think, down in Wales, the, um, you know, they've introduced new al- no alcohol sections because of people not behaving themselves. Um, don't know if you saw this, but uh, there was uh, the Wales-Australia game during the autumn tests. There was actually a full-blown fight broke out because yep. somebody who happened to be wearing Australia top um, and Australia were winning, they got assaulted. Um, there's been incidents at the Edinburgh-Glasgow games and this whole, we're not football fans, this kind of attitude that you're somehow better than them. Um, you know, it's it, it's... It doesn't do anyone any favours. I mean, there was that thing uh, with the, the guy playing the sash on the bagpipes at LA game. Yeah. And people were going, oh, wait, it's us just the football fans. Well, clearly he's not just a football fan because they're wearing rugby tops, or club rugby tops. Bears yep. Den, I think, were involved. They've travelled all that way to go and watch a rugby match. They're clearly not just football fans, are they? No, and that, you know, doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't come out of nowhere, playing the sash on the bagpipes. Doesn't it just appear in their heads? No. Unbidden. That's obviously been... Amongst that's obviously something that they do, or been festering, or something that that within that group they think is acceptable when clearly it's not. I mean, it's the you can see. I think one guy sort of has a wee shifty look about him on that video, but I think it was more. Oh, hang on, we're being filmed. This is going to end up on social media. Social, you know, shifty look rather than we're doing something wrong. Yeah, I and think then that, they were totally unapologetic afterwards as well, or yeah. at least the, I think the guy that posted it was. Um, so yeah, I mean. We have discussed this before. I do think there's a certain snobbery amongst um, certain factions. I've called out many occasions. And what we have to just say is, look, we can't just blame football fans for this. These are rugby fans who are misbehaving. Call them out at the time. Yeah. You know, don't just blame football fans. And, you know, I think a couple of people got in touch and said, you know, they saw people urinating in the street. And it kind of... I mean, it's hard because I'm, I'm not saying I've never weed in the street before when I've been <laughs> drunk or three sheets to the wind when I've got, or even like been at a rugby match on the way back and found a wee dark alley to have a weed in with, you know, but 10 other blokes. <laughs> it's it's just that thing of, I get the point that if, a foot, if football fans were doing that en masse, if football fans were lifting the kilts up in the town, in Edinburgh Town Centre on a Saturday night in front of everyone, they would probably be taken to one side or told to go home or sent on the way on a train. Uh. And I think rugby fans get a free pass because of reputation more than anything, and that it doesn't take much to change that. I agree that hundred percent. You know, obviously being from Glasgow and all the uh, the old firm connotations that come from that. Uh, you know, these things are policed to the highest level. You'll see less arrests at an old firm game now than you will say a Hibs Hearts game, or even potentially at a Scotland rugby match. Yeah. But but these things are always kind of peddled out as. Well, disgraceful old firm behaviour, but it's just people misbehaving in general. You know, whether it's a old firm game, a Scotland's rugby match, or even like a Take That concert, for example. You know, what I mean, my mate Bob went to um, he went with his wife to a Take That concert a few years ago around at Hamden, and he said he, he just oh, there was crowds of middle-aged women vomiting and urinating in the street. I saw that. Um, that happened to me when I went to party in the park in London, Hyde Park. There was just a load of people in their 50s who hadn't been out for about 12 months just absolutely <laughs> spewing their guts out at 10 o'clock after Kylie Minogue and they'd been on, <laughs> the basically been on the pims all day and then just couldn't handle it. Um, so no, I don't, yeah, I, I think I think that's, um, I think we've said it before and it's just worth covering again. I think, especially if we try to grow the game, um, the, the last, you know, the the people that you're going to get to come across and start watching rugby, they're not going to give up football. 
they're going to want. But if you want people to start watching rugby, who are watching football now, then the last thing you need to be doing is telling them that their sport's somehow inferior or they're inferior because of the way that their supporters behave. So, um, the other interesting thing I, I, I touched on this a bit last week was a couple of comments about the attendance at um, Murrayfield for the the fact sold fifteen thousand tickets and people saying where have all these Edinburgh fans come from and I'm not that kind of wound me up a bit because I think well it's not I think a lot a lot of people you know don't go and watch Edinburgh every week because they're watching their own club every week and it's a one-off occasion so why wouldn't you go and go and see Munster Edinburgh for a quarter final so that kind of wound me up as well. But anyway, yeah, um, probably all um, monster fans. That'll too. be it. Yeah, getting over before <laughs> getting over before the border they, they, closes. They'll, they'll have, yeah, they'll have seen that and thought that's a we can we can make that feel like a home game. No bother. <laughs> I mean, well, obviously they'll have bother in terms of the travel, but in in terms of getting tickets, they would have thought, yeah, that's, that that wouldn't be a problem. I wouldn't be surprised to find it heavily read when that that one rolls around. Yeah. Um. What What do you have then, Rory, for your hands in the ruck? Well, I'm such an easygoing guy that I don't actually have a hands in a ruck. However, I do have um, I will, uh, do have a sneak preview of an article that is going to serve as uh, hands in the ruck for this week um, from our old pal Alan Greenwood, inventor of the Sad Man of the Match Award. <laughs> and he is uh, on Twitter. Uh, look out for hashtag Sad Man of the Match. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, he, he's written a little article um, which will be up probably, probably at the weekend. Um, just uh, talking about the uh, CD player um, at Murrayfield, the um, who, whoever is in charge of the, the PA system and the, uh, the their attempts to sort of squeeze music into uh, into any small break and break and play, possibly, um, including you know when they haven't been briefed about Scotland's trick plays and they start the CD going because they think it's going to kick to a line-out, but Finn takes a quick tap instead and the music's still going on while the, the game is is going on. So, yeah, Alan uh, has a wee look into into that and uh, that'll be up on for folks to read, but uh, we'll be interested to hear your thoughts on the uh, on the music at Murrayfield and match the atmosphere. Um, do you need music to have a good time or to create a good atmosphere at a rugby game? That's an interesting point. I think we had a couple of complaints about the volume as well, which um, it reminded me of the time that I did. I was a, I did security at a Goldie gig at my uni, and he blew the speakers because the bass was too loud. Um, what um, what what was your hands in the rock then, Ian? Okay, well, um, seems we've covered most of the stuff already. But uh, one thing that um, came to mind with, I'm not a, I'm not an American football fan by any stretch of the imagination, but. Um, it was being held at the Atlanta Falcons new fancy Dan Mercedes Benz Stadium. You've seen that with the uh, they've got the closing roof, which is like a, a a lotus all coming over. It's it's engineering wise, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, <laughs> but um, but with us, right, so if you go to Murrayfield and if you want a bottle of tenants, it's five pounds twenty. If you want a you know burger and chips, you're paying upwards of eight pounds, um, and that's just I mean it's. It's pretty substandard fare, and you're paying way over the odds. People, oh, you'll pay for that at gigs. But um, the Atlanta Falcons, uh, did I call them Falcons earlier? I'd gone a bit American there. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So uh, what the owner of them has done, uh, he's knocked all the prices down. Uh, He's knocked the prices down by 50%. um, And what they've actually found is they're getting a 16% higher intake in profits just because 
you know, I, I don't suppose you've heard of this uh, thing that they have they do at American football games, tailgating. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where people take their pickup trucks tried and that. then just get, have a barbecue. In, they've tried that at Murrayfield a couple of times and they've opened the back pitches. Yeah, but there's nowhere to park, though, is there, really? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there used to, used to be a big uh, big tradition of doing it in uh, on the back pitches at Murrayfield years ago. Um, all the folk from the borders would come up with their, their Range Rovers filled with Selkirk Bannocks and uh, copious amounts of alcohol and have little parties. But, uh, yeah, I think with the... Now, obviously, the back pitches are used as training training pitches and, and in fact, you know, they have the, the kind of bar public areas on there now. Um, I think that's probably but, a thing of the past. So I think, you know, it would make a lot more sense. Like, the couple of times I've turned up with, um, you know, with the press passes, uh, I wasn't... I was actually late this weekend because of... Uh, there was a broken-down train at, between Haymarket and Waverley. But the first time I was there, I was there ridiculously early just because I didn't know where I was going. Um, but, you know... If you encourage people to come for the day and offer them cheaper foods, you know, uh, you know, cheaper beverages, all that, you can get a sort of proper good atmosphere building up from, say, from twelve until six o'clock at night. Instead, what you've got is a bunch of. I mean, I wouldn't say a lot of the time the food is decent, but you're paying way over the odds for it. Mm. Whereas if they, you know, if they offer these things, you know, if you're take, let's say you're uh, you're taking your family there, you know, so there's, you know, mum, dad, two kids, whatever, you know, if you're just doing this sort of classic nuclear family, you're already paid probably over two hundred quid for tickets, and then just to, f- you know, feed and water yourselves, you're looking at another twenty five, thirty pounds, um, even without t- taking alcohol into account. You know, if, if we reduce the prices, we can get people to stay. It would probably be a better atmosphere for the youngins, especially. Um, you know, just make it a more more affordable event because it is already very expensive to go to these things. Yeah. Um, you're pricing people out, but if you make the concession stuff cheaper, then people will be like more likely to go. All right, so there's going to be a you know burger and chips for three pounds fifty. Cool, we'll do that. Um, so you know, it's it, it's it, it's a bit of a rip-off, um, basically. To if you're there for the full day, you're spending fortunes. Yeah, and it's and it's a, it's strange because it's a really good opportunity because there's three two fifteen kickoffs this year, so it's it's strange they've not capitalised on that and try to you know get people in for say lunchtime. Like I said, have you have your chips, your burger, you, you maybe yeah, a couple well, of drinks, and then. And I, I mean, after the uh, after the Italy game, um, I went to go and sit down and watch the. Ireland England game on the on the fan zone in the West Village because you're sitting outside. It was like sub zero temperatures. <laughs> I could barely hold like I hadn't had a pint all day and I was like, right, pint again this. I'm freezing. Jeez I couldn't like I didn't even get to half time before having to go, right, let's bolt. Let's just go get the train back to Glasgow because 'cause I'm freezing my ass off. Yeah, um you know, if they fit set up a big sort of tent marquee thing. Uh, you know, have stands, you know, offering food, drinks. People will stay longer and you'll make a bigger profit out of it yeah. instead of, like, going, all right, here's a... Uh, yeah, I paid £3.50 for a, a, like, a polished ironing box of soggy, overcooked, had been sitting there for about half an hour chips. Um, yeah, that's not that's not how you encourage people to stay. Yeah, and next week on Murrayfield Hell's Kitchen, uh, we'll look at... <laughs> <laughs> quinoa, that's what we need, more quinoa. <laughs> Um, it's a good shot. It's going to be interesting, I think, to see what happens with the back pitches when the Murray, mini Murrayfield goes up, and how they're going to, mm. yeah, where where 
what they end up doing with that. But yeah, that's a, something for another time. That roof is absolutely, I've been watching, I've been absolutely hypnotized by the Mercedes Benz Stadium roof <laughs> closed time lapse video. Um, that was that's astounding. Amazing, that's amazing. I could yeah. watch that. I might, I might just watch that while I'm editing the, the podcast after that. <laughs> um, each, each section's like 18 tons. I can't, that's um, unbelievable. Anyway, we'll, we'll that's maybe, a, maybe start doing an engineering podcast, me and you, Ian. Um, <laughs> great stadium roofs of the world. Um, any more for any more? Either you got anything else we need to cover? I think we've covered everything as much as we can, can't we? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Adam Ash has signed a new two-year deal at Glasgow, and Glasgow's well signed Kyle Stain off the Sevens program. Uh, that's the only other news I've got. Is that um, was that announced tonight? The Glasgow Warriors thing? Because is that their announcement they were going to have exclusive on their podcast? I think Kyle Stain was announced yesterday. He was, was on the Warriors podcast yeah. last night, so I've not heard, I've not listened to that yet. But uh, the Adam Ash new deal, I think, was announced today about three hours ago. Oh, okay, there we go. So yeah, oh, that's good news. Um, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. We'll do a wee France preview and we'll cover the Pro 14 action from the weekend a wee bit as well and pick up bits from the blog. Um, I said I'd do how to get in touch with us. If you want to get in touch with us with your hands in the ruck, your where's Doogie Donnelly's, your crap call-offs, things like that, email podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. You can visit the blog scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Uh, we're on Twitter at Cammy Black or at Scott Rugby Blog, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, but for now, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Ian and Rory. Goodbye. Cheerio. Fancy me, fancy me. Go to have a chat to-